Hello, and welcome to Historically Speaking, Uncommon History with an Unconventional Pair. I'm Rebecca Robbins. And I'm Kim Kimmel. I'm a singer and actress. And I'm a retired history teacher. He was my history teacher in college. And now we've been married for 21 years. (laughs) Sometimes quirky, sometimes obscure. But this is the kind of history you actually want to remember. Hello, and welcome to our inaugural episode of Historically Speaking. This episode being so close to Halloween, we thought we'd deal with something a little on the strange side. So the title of this episode is Till Death Do You Part, The Macabre History of Famous Corpses. Sometimes people have even more interesting history after they're dead than when they're alive. But with these five people we're going to cover, they had history before and after. So I think we are going to start in chronological order, and who is the lucky contestant who is up first? Well, it's Mary, Queen of Scots, Uh. one of the more famous women in history. And Why was was she famous? Why is she famous? Well, she was Queen of Scotland, she was briefly Queen of France, and she was heir presumptive to the English throne, so it was very possible she could have also become Queen of England. That would have been one powerful woman. Well, she was a fairly powerful woman. She was intelligent. She was well-educated. She had a great deal of courage. Uh, She was passionate, sometimes perhaps too passionate. She let her emotions run past her in a way that her cousin, Elizabeth, Queen of England, did not. Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I uh, did not. But in February of 1587, she was beheaded. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yes, it was very unfortunate, especially for her. Um, I'm sure she thought so, too. Yes, and uh, it took three whacks to get her head off. The first first time the axe hit, it was the back of her skull, and some thought that they had heard her say something like, Sweet Jesus. The second time almost severed her head off because it came down right on her neck. And the third time uh, was just cutting off the last sinews of her head. Third time's a charm. Yes, yes it was. Uh, And once she was uh, decapitated, surgeons sewed the head back on, the body. They also took out all the organs, her heart and others. Wait, so they sewed her head back on, but then they removed her heart and all her organs. That's right. And the execution was witnessed by some 300 people. And, of course, by now, many might be wondering, well, why was she executed? Well, she was executed because she had spent 19 years basically as a prisoner of her cousin, Elizabeth I of England. And she was involved in a plot called the Babington Plot to have uh, Elizabeth assassinated, and she would then become Queen of England and be restored to the Scottish throne. None of that transpired because Elizabeth had a very clever spy master named Sir Francis Walsingham, and he caught her with all the goods. Oh, he caught her red-handed. Right. Uh, letters uh, and all of that. Now, she denied it, but it's pretty clear she was But it was in was her going. own hand, right? Yes. And uh, she was tried. She was found guilty of treason, which is very strange because she was an anointed queen. And even Elizabeth was very uncomfortable with that because it meant that her inferiors were trying someone who was royal. Uh, but it was done nonetheless. 
And she was told that she would be executed only the evening before it occurred, uh, which was February 7th. The execution would take place on February 8th. And uh, everyone who witnessed the execution said that she met her death with great courage. No one ever doubted uh, Mary Queen of Scots' courage, sometimes her judgment, but never Mm -hmm. her courage. And... uh, the physicians sewed her head back on after it was decapitated, took the organs out, all of that, buried them in uh, remote places in Fothering Hay Castle, which is where the execution took place. Which doesn't exist anymore, right? That's right. That's right. Fothering Hay Castle is completely gone. There's no remains of it whatsoever. But it wasn't destroyed, say, after she was executed. No, it was destroyed... Uh, Just over time. Uh, yeah, piecemeal over time, over the centuries, and there's nothing there now. It's in Northamptonshire in the Midlands. And uh, the other famous thing about Fothering Hay Castle, just in passing here, is that Richard III was born there in 1452. So it was a famous castle because of one king being born there and a queen of Scotland being executed there. And all the blood uh, from the execution was wiped up. Her clothes were burned because she was a devout Catholic and uh, they didn't want any relics left that could be used by uh, followers of Roman Catholicism as relics. And that was stipulated by the Privy Council and by Elizabeth, that there should be no remains whatsoever. Her body was wrapped in a kind of covering and placed in a very heavy lead coffin. And for about six months, it remained in Fothering Hay Castle. In the summer of 1587, it was taken to Peterborough Cathedral nearby, and it was put in a vault where it stayed for 25 years. And in 1612, uh, the King of England, who was also the King of Scotland, who was also the son of Mary, Queen of Scots. That's convenient. James VI of Scotland, James I of England, the same person. uh, He had his mother. um, Who he didn't really know very well. Yes. uh, The last time she saw James was when he was 10 months old. She had many troubles in Scotland, many troubles. And she fled to England, hoping for help from Elizabeth. But that never happened. For then she all. got her head cut off. Well, yeah. And she was, in, went, she was moved from one hall, one castle to another over the course of 19 years. And it's really actually a very sad tale. Uh, in many ways, she had a good heart. She was very kind to her servants, to her uh, ladies that attended her and so on. Um, and she had a powerful urge to, to reign. And she wanted to get back to Scotland. And she had previously been Queen of France very temporarily. She led quite a life. That is quite a life. So her son had her move to where? To Westminster Abbey, which is so ironic because she wanted to be buried in France. But that wish was not honored by Elizabeth. I wonder if her son knew that. That's a good question. Uh, James was 19 or 20 when his mother was executed. And he did protest the execution because he was already King of Scotland. But he had to be very careful he didn't protest too much because he was next in line to the English throne. And when Elizabeth did die in 1603, he became king of England as well as king of Scotland. Wow. So he had to play his cards just right, knowing that he did. He was going to move forward. In he the did. And uh, he line. had her body removed from Peterborough Cathedral, taken to Westminster Abbey, where many British monarchs, English monarchs, have been buried. And established a very elaborate tomb for her, a very beautiful tomb. She remains there to this day. So if we wanted to, next time we can travel, which who knows when that'll be. Yeah. We can fly over and and say hello to Mary and say... Yes. 
to Mary Queen of Scots, uh, a fascinating figure that has uh, enchanted, entranced, um, fascinated people for centuries. Her story is a a haunting one, a fascinating one, nonetheless. Well, I think for our next character, we're going to stay in England, right? Yes, we are. We are going to Oliver Cromwell, one of the most famous Englishmen ever. There are many who admire Cromwell a great deal. There are many who do not. But I don't think anyone denies that he had great talents, both as a military leader, especially as a military leader, in the civil wars against the king, uh, Charles I. One second. I just want to get some historical time frame here. Mm -hmm. So Mary was executed in what year? 1587. And then Cromwell comes into power around... Well, Cromwell came into power militarily in the 1640s when he was in his early mid-40s, mm-hmm. and he showed great military ability in civil wars. Who's on the throne at this point? Charles I. Charles oh. I is the son of James I, who is the son of Mary, Queen of Scots. So Charles I is the grandson of Mary, Queen of Scots. Okay, so we're two generations. That's right. And Charles Charles had a really great knack to alienate a lot of people, including a lot of his supporters. It was a gift. Wow, an um, unfortunate gift. And uh, he got himself into uh, a couple civil wars, and eventually the parliament that he fought concluded that he had to be decapitated. So... The That's grandmother was decapitated, and Charles I was decapitated, and... Weren't there a lot of people who had to sign his documents? Yes, there were 59 who signed the document requiring uh, the beheading of Charles I. By the way, he met his death very bravely, too. And after his death, a republic was established, the only time in English history that you had a republic for 11 years. And that was sort of under... Cromwell's watch. Well, from 1649 to 1653, technically it was a council of state and parliament that was in charge, but it didn't work very well. So in 1653, Cromwell was made Lord Protector, and he remained Lord Protector for five years until his death in September of 1658. And how did, how and why did he die? He died, we think, of, uh, of kidney problems, uh, just basically old age. He was worn out. How old was he? He was 59 when he died. Oh, well, back then, that was a a ripe yes. old age. Right. And um, he was basically king in all but name, officially called the Lord Protector. And what happened was when he died, he was given a highly ceremonial funeral. He was uh, entombed in Westminster Abbey, where oh. the Queen of Scots was where already. Where all the famous people are. And uh, that's where he remained until... January 30th of 1661. You see, what happened is in May of 1660, Charles I's son, Charles II, was asked to come back to England and the monarchy was restored. And on January 30th, 1661, Cromwell's body was taken out of Westminster Abbey. The corpse was taken out of Westminster Abbey and it was ceremoniously hung, drawn, quartered. After he'd been dead for how long? Uh, well, he died in September of 58, and this is January of 61. Ugh. So you're talking about a good two years here. And the reason can't why can't imagine was, he was good looking at this point. No, I don't think I don't think so. Uh, and the reason why it was January 30th is because that was the day, 12 years before, when Charles I had been beheaded. Oh, so, so it was very symbolic that yes, date. Yes, very symbolic. So he was hung. I mean, his corpse was hung, yeah. drawn, which means right. all your intestines are pulled out. Yeah, it's a brutal death and it's so on. Horrible. But it's not so brutal and if you're already dead. And that's the death for, for treason. 
Yes, in that England. is that basically. I mean, not today, yes. obviously, yeah. but so he was a traitor. Well, is, is how he was treated. Yes, he was treated as a terrible man, uh, a, a, a very bad man. Who, how did, what did the people of England think about this? I mean, were they well, happy that Cromwell was sort of getting his comeuppance, or were they sort of torn? Well, many because were. the king was back in town. You know. and, yeah, and Charles II, who came back in 1660, he was 30 years old. He was a very shrewd individual. Uh, he was determined to die in his bed and not die like his father well, that's, did. That's a good idea. And uh, a very clever man, lazy. He loved a good life, ladies, food, uh, wine, all of that. But he was highly intelligent, and he was a very good judge of character. And... Uh, Pretty much he left alone all those who fought against his father, except for the 59 regicides, the ones who signed the document. And how many of them were still living at this point? Well, many of them were dead by that time. Okay. And like, for instance, Cromwell. Okay. And, uh, but that didn't stop him. Uh, no, that didn't stop, that didn't stop <laughs> him with, uh, with Cromwell and a few others. They dug up their corpses. Uh, some had fled to the continent of Europe, uh, some were not to be found, but they hunted down the regicides who were still alive, and those that weren't, and they could find their corpses, they dug them up and ceremoniously did the works to them. Okay, so, so he's hung, he's drawn, and he's quartered yeah, as well? Yeah, the whole works. And then what happened? And then was he decapitated on top of that? Yes, what happened was his body was thrown in some common pit, we think. We're not absolutely certain what happened to his body, but his head was preserved and put on a stake for the public to view, and it was... On London Bridge? Is that uh, where they usually put the heads? London Bridge? You know what? I don't know exactly where the head was put. I'm not sure if it was a oh, London Bridge. Oh, we can Bridge. figure it out and put it in the notes. Yeah. And uh, it remained in public uh, view for about 25 years, and then it had very strange peregrinations. Um, so then it, it just disappeared? It kind of, yeah. It was, it was bought and sold... Uh, over the centuries, we, we know of a man named Wilkinson in 1814 who purchased it because that, we have the receipt oh. for the purchase of his skull. One, one head of Cromwell. Yes, one head of Cromwell. That's right. That's right. Hold the mail. Um, My goodness. And uh, finally, finally, his resting place became Cambridge University, and specifically Sydney Sussex College, because that's where all over as a young man went. You mean just his head, because we have just no idea head. where his body is. Right. In 1960, wow. Cambridge University uh, acquired his head, and they placed it in a secret place. And there's a plaque saying that the head is buried in that locale, but they don't tell you exactly where it is because they're afraid that royalists will dig it up and desecrate it. But even in 2020, people are going to still get their revenge on Cromwell? I have a good friend of mine who uh, does not like Cromwell. uh, But uh, I don't think he'd be digging up anybody's head. No, he's not going to go that far. No, 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 not at all. But that's, it's a very strange story about what happened to Cromwell's corpse. I mean, at least Mary Queen of Scots, her corpse was not... Her head was sewn back on. Yes, and then it was not bothered afterwards. But with Cromwell, they couldn't kill him in life. He was just too good a soldier and a pretty capable politician and diplomat, although a better soldier than a politician. And so all they could do was kill him once he was dead, if that makes any sense. Revenge is a dish best served cold. (laughs) I guess. But that's the story of Cromwell's head. Do you want to move on to the seas? Oh, yes. 
Yes. Uh, We're going to stay Nielsen. in England again, actually. Yes. We're still in the British Isles. Uh, and, and uh, Okay, so just for time frame. We've gone from Mary to Cromwell. Now we're going to the 18th century, and we're going to Horatio Nelson, uh, Lord Nelson, Viscount Nelson. Uh, He was born in 1758, and he would die in 1805. Uh, He would die a glorious military death in his last naval battle, uh, the Battle of Trafalgar. And who was that battle against? That battle was against uh, the combined Franco-Spanish fleet. It was basically Napoleon's fleet because Spain was subservient to France. And in the, um, in the battle, Horatio Nelson had 27 ships, and the combined Franco-Spanish fleet was 33. Oh, so they were greatly outnumbered. Not greatly, by six, 33 to 27. Well, I, I wouldn't like those odds, but... Well, Nelson uh, is probably the greatest naval military genius in history, certainly one of the great naval geniuses. He had a sterling career. He also was losing body parts. By the time he fought his last battle, he had lost an arm and an eye. But he was a national hero. But he just kept fighting. Yes. I mean, he was admired by his men. He was an heroic figure. And in the last battle he fought, he was on his flagship, the Victory, one of the 27 ships that fought against the... How appropriate of a name. Yes, the Victory. And a French marksman, a sniper, picked him off on the ship. Well, I'm sure he was easy to recognize. He was easy to recognize, and his uh, subordinate, a man named Hardy, before the battle began, um, gently suggested to to Lord Nelson that he might want to take off his coat with all its medals and so on, because he's such an easy target, but Nelson wouldn't hear of it. No one ever questioned his courage and his bravery, and he was not going to he do that. He wasn't going to hide. Yeah, so he was he was pretty obvious you know, to the French marksman who picked wow. him off. Uh, and where, did we know where the bullet hit? Yeah, it hit him in the back, and in the, in the shoulder, went down through the spine, severed a couple of vertebrae, and he knew he was going to die. Uh, he, he said that to uh, those close to him that it was a mortal wound, and he was taken below deck, and about three or four hours after he was struck, he died. And, wow, uh, what a way to go. Then his body was put in a barrel. A barrel of a what? A barrel of brandy to preserve it. <laughs> it was taken to Gibraltar. That's a good way to go out. He's in a barrel of brandy, and he's taken to Gibraltar. By the way, Trafalgar was off the uh, Spanish uh, uh, coast, off the Iberian coast. So Gibraltar wasn't that far away. And Gibraltar had been British since the end of the Spanish uh, War, the Spanish Succession in 1713. And it still is British to this day, Gibraltar, uh, to oh. the great irritation of the Spanish. Uh, I'm sure. So he goes to Gibraltar. He goes to Gibraltar. They put him in a casket this time, in a lead casket. And they uh, fill the casket with spirits of wine to preserve his body. The spirits wow, of wine so he a... goes from brandy to spirits of wine. That's right. Spirits of wine is an ethanol mix of some kind and to preserve so his body. he's probably pickled at this point. Yes. Nelson was very pickled uh, by this point. And Speaking and, of pickle, isn't um, there a... Yes. The news that was carried to England of Nelson's death was carried ahead of his body by another ship, the HMS Pickle. I just find that so funny. He's in the process of being pickled, and then the news gets to England on a ship called the Pickle. Yeah, HMS Pickle, yes. Once again, truth is stranger than fiction. The Battle of Trafalgar took place in late October of 1805. His formal funeral was in January. He had laid in state for several days, and his funeral was in January. 
It was a massive event, a massive event. There were uh, 10,000 soldiers in the procession. There were 100 admirals or something like that. Uh, wow. He was a national hero. I mean, it was just stunning, the adulation that uh, was given to him, the honors that were given to him. In fact, when George III heard of the victory but heard of Nelson's death, George III, the king, said, I fear we have lost more than we have gained. And that's precisely because of Nelson's death. Wow. There was really no one quite like Nelson. He was amazing. And I just would add uh, that basically stopped any possibility of Napoleon invading England. After Trafalgar, he didn't have the naval forces to do that. Were all of uh, Napoleon's ships destroyed in that battle? A lot of them were. That's another tribute to Nelson. His plan was brilliant. And um, in the battle of the 33 Franco-Spanish ships, 22 were lost. Of the 27 English ships, British ships, zero were lost. Not one ship was lost. That is an incredible track record. Dawson's plan was pure genius, as were some of his previous battles, like the Battle of the Nile and so on. Uh, wow. He was an extraordinary man, an extraordinary But he ended sailor. up pickled, in yep. short. Right. <laughs> and uh, he's buried in St. Paul's Cathedral. Oh, he's in St. Paul's. Okay. Yes, he's not in Westminster Abbey, St. Paul's Cathedral, yeah. Which is where uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana got married back in 1981, but that's another story. Oh, yes, that is a whole nother episode and yes. ball of wax. Right. So I think we're going to skip a few years. Yes, we're going to move And we're going to go to a different country altogether. Mm -hmm. So we've done the first three in England, and now where are we flying to? Well, we're going to Argentina. Oh, that sounds good to me. And just about the most famous uh, Latin American woman of all time, Ava Perón. Quite a gal. Yes, she had tremendous ambition, tremendous drive, uh, persona and all that. She was born in 1919. And she died in 1952 of cervical cancer. Oh, gosh. Uh, she was only about 80 pounds when she died. In 1944, she met Juan Perón. They got married in 1945. And in 1946, he became president of Argentina, and she became first lady. Wow. So he was already on the ascension when yeah. they met. And... Yes, I think you could say that. Right. And he would remain president for nine years. She died in 1952. And he would remain president until 1955 when he was overthrown in a military coup. Once she died, she was embalmed. She was uh, to be preserved like Lenin was for all time. Oh, so sort of, because wasn't Lenin in the glass coffin? Yes, so and she was, I mean, great care was taken to embalm her. And uh, it's really difficult for Americans, I think, and others to understand just what, a, what an extraordinary attachment to this woman by not only Argentinians, but Latin Americans in general, but especially Argentinians. And she's a very controversial figure. Some think she was very great and she was wonderful to the poor and cared about them and so on. Others think that she was fascistic like her husband and anti-Semitic and oh, controversy continues to this day. But her body, once her husband was overthrown in 1955... Where, where was it until then? For three years, it laid uh, in a government building where people could come and view it because wow, what so they wanted to do. she was buried. She was just kind of yeah, she installed. Was like, Juan Perón was going to build this vast, vast tomb for her, a monument uh, that would be the size of the Statue of Liberty, if not bigger. Oh, my god! And she was to be in, uh, placed in there eventually. But he was overthrown before that occurred. And uh, her body mysteriously disappeared. 
from 1955 to 1971, you know, nobody really knew where it was. Well, it was in Italy. We don't know how it got to Italy. Um, it was in Milan. And in 1971, it was taken to Spain because Juan Perón was living in Spain at that time and married to his third wife, Isabel. And they got the body out of Italy and brought it to Spain and placed it in their dining room. In Spain. Yes, in he's Spain. He's married to his third wife, and he's like, you know what, honey? Yeah. I think I think I want our, my second wife to join us. Do you yeah, mind? I'm just right. going to put her in the corner. It's okay. Yeah, it gives new meaning to the term menage a trois. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and uh, her... Uh, and, and I guess she was okay with it. Well, yes, I don't know. I guess she was. But Juan Perón was came back to Argentina in 1973 and became president again for about eight, nine months, something like wow, that. Wow, so he was so controversial the first time, mm-hmm. and yet, and yet, they brought him back and put yes, him back in the uh, power. The people that were, uh, they were called Peronistas, they were, those that were pro-Peron, uh, both uh, Juan and Eva, and he made a comeback. He came back in 1973, and he was reinstalled as president, although he would die the next year in 1974. So it was very short-lived. And then his third wife, Isabel, because she was vice president, became the president of Argentina. Wow. Was she the first female president? She was the first female president in the uh, in the Western Hemisphere, I believe. Uh, oh, wow. Anywhere. That's huge. And uh, Isabel brought Ava Perón's body back from Spain and temporarily placed it with her husband for viewing and then Ava Perón was buried in one of the most beautiful cemeteries in the world it's called La Racaleta now I I think my Spanish pronunciation is pretty <laughs> wretched you know it reminds me of what uh, Clint Eastwood is I'm dirty sure Harry we'll be said. getting emails yeah saying, I know uh, I mean, I remember, I remember you didn't what, quite get that right <laughs> you know, Clint Eastwood is dirty Harry said Man's got to know his limitations, and I know my limitations with respect to the pronunciation of foreign languages. And that's where she remains to this day. And she's still a cult figure. I mean, she's uh, controversial. There's those who love her, almost saint-like. And there are those who despise her. Well, and they've written musicals about her. Oh, yes. (laughs) I mean... Even in her own right, she came from nothing, pretty much. Yes, she she came from a very very poor background, and she became an actress— Some of her detractors said that she was a uh, woman of ill repute. Well, they may be that may be more of uh, political envy than than reality. Not certain, but uh, she was grasping and she was ambitious, and she became the first lady of Argentina. And in 1951, shortly before her death, she was asked to run for the vice presidency of Argentina. But she knew she was dying by that time. She had a real struggle. She did. She, that, she had a she? real struggle, yeah. I mean, she was only 33-some years old when she died. That's it. She was in her Jesus year. Yes, I guess you could say that. But um, Wow. So her body was uh, laid in state for three years, then went to Italy. For 16 years. And nobody knew where it was in Italy. Yeah. It was in Milan, it turned out. And then Juan Perot decides he wants her in his dining room. In Spain. In Spain. And then he goes back to Argentina as president. And, and he then, leaves her there? And he leaves her there, right. Oh, and it's only right. when he died that Isabel... That his third wife... Yeah, brings his second wife... She uh, must have had a, some affection for her on, on some level. Uh, she might have done it for political reasons because Eva Perón was so popular in so many ways. So oh, that her so doing that... Oh, so it her... Yes, and... Uh, Likeability. Well, she had proved not to be the best of 
uh, leaders. How, uh, how long did she remain in power? You know what? I forget. It wasn't very long. I didn't think so. Um, but, I mean, that's a huge feat to become the first female president in the Western Hemisphere. But it's only because she was married to Juan Perón. So it's kind of, you know, by, by way of marriage. Well, Ava Perón, that's how she made her career, mar yeah. married to Juan. So that, that wraps up our Argentine adventure. Now where are we going? We're going to Switzerland. Charlie Chaplin. Now, Charlie Chaplin, Charlie of course. Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin was English. And, it's so funny because uh, I always I always thought he was American, I guess, because he made so many films in America. He did. Did yeah. he make films in England? Uh, yeah, he started out there and he ended up in Hollywood and he spent a lot of time in the United States. He became embroiled uh, with a lot of political problems in the United States because of um, his very uh, left-wing views. Um, J. Edgar Hoover watched him, had him followed, etc. Oh, um, so he put a tail on him. Yeah, basically. Just and, to uh, see if he was doing anything. And Charlie Chaplin came to dislike the United States for that reason, and maybe some other reasons as well. Tax reasons, uh, reasons related to um, young women, very young women that he had affairs with. It's all kind of murky and hearsay, controversial. And, and, yeah. He so said, he, ended up, he ended up in Switzerland. How uh, old is he around this time? I think he got it, went into Switzerland in the 1950s, and uh, early 50s, and he joined to die in 1977. He's going to die on Christmas Day, 1977. Christmas Day? The last year of his life or so, and he was a very sick man. Interestingly, he was born in 1889 on April 16th. And the reason why I mention that is because Charlie Chaplin parodied Adolf Hitler in one of his better-known films, The Great Dictator. Yeah, I mean, that, that film is iconic. Right, 1936, I believe. And what is fascinating is that um, Adolf Hitler was born on April 20th, 1889. So Chaplin and Hitler were born the same week, within wow. four days of each other. And eventually Chaplin would parody Hitler in The Great Dictator, which is actually a very fine film. Chaplin was... Um, Buried in a cemetery in Switzerland, and in March of 78, his coffin disappeared. Like it, like it was like dug Benched, up? And... Yeah. It was dug up. Turned out there was a Bulgarian and a Polish guy that dug it up for ransom. And uh, I don't know how <laughs> wow, much they Wow, they must have been hard up. And thought, hey, I've got a great idea. Yeah, we're not going to work tomorrow. We're going to dig up a coffin. I'm sure they probably did it in the dead of night, but still... Yeah, I, I suspect it was a night job. But uh, they were caught. So what? They just put it in their garage? I got I Charlie Chaplin they, in my garage here. Uh, if you give put. me a couple million dollars, I'll give them to you. Yeah, they asked like, for millions. And now and, who did they ask that of? The family? Yeah, the estate? Right. If you want your coffin, you want the, you know, the corpse back. And so <laughs> you got to pay up. Yeah, Charlie Chaplin uh, had a little bit of a journey after his death. But they found these guys pretty soon, and then they reburied... So Chaplin. it wasn't long. They didn't. They didn't. It wasn't it. very long. No, it made the headlines in 1978 all over the world. As Chaplin was. Well, that's about. huge news. I mean, what a bizarre case. It is bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. But then when he was reburied, they poured I think a couple tons of cement in, so it's almost impossible to ever extricate the coffin again. So he. So he was buried in the same spot. Yes, he's laid in the same cemetery, and I think he will lay and rest forever. Unless somebody's got a really large jackhammer. Yeah. So that wraps it up then. We hit five people who had some very interesting journeys post-mortem. Wow. Well, thank you for all that information. Well, you're welcome, Rebecca. 
<laughs> it's like we're just sitting at the dinner table, yes. you know. Right, right. So coming up, actually, on uh, next week's episode, we are going to talk about elections because it's so close to our presidential election here in the United States. And we've had some strange elections that most people probably don't know about or maybe have forgotten. Yes, some very interesting elections. And, so we're uh, going to cover we're going to cover three categories, I think, mm-hmm. in our next episode. So be mm-hmm. sure to tune in next week, and we will drop that episode with some interesting presidential and electoral information. So thanks very much, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.